Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Have you heard about St. Matthew's? No, I don't mean the church located in Nassau. Of course, you will have heard about that, St. Matthew's. Actually, I'm referring to the St. Matthew's located in Brixton, London, in the UK. It was built in 1822 to commemorate the famous historic victory of the British forces at Waterloo, where Napoleon was defeated. It was built at the time to hold 1,800 worshippers. During the last year, I read somewhere, this church has seen its congregation double. Now it claims to have a congregation of 65 people attend services on a Sunday. That's less than 100 people in a city of more than 8 million. A church built to accommodate nearly 2,000 nearly 200 years ago now operates with less than 100 regular worshippers. How sad. From the land that once sent missionaries all over the world, this church can hardly support itself. Such is the significant loss of interest in religion and church attendance among the British people. I read that St. Matthew's has had to reduce its church space and rent out the greater part of the building. It had become too expensive to maintain the large edifice without the support of a congregation large enough to pay the bills. The portion that they sectioned off, leaving only a small portion of the church for actual worship, was then rented out to a nightclub. So in South London, a beautiful church, large enough to hold 1,800 people, is a nightclub, with a tiny part held for worship on Sundays. I found the contrast incredible and very unfortunate. I don't know what you were thinking as I said it. Certainly any reasonable person would see the huge gap in credibility represented by their choice of a tenant. I suppose they would say desperate situations demand desperate solutions. I just wonder how the Lord feels about all of this. Why would you, the God of greatness, simply love someone like me? And how could you, so pure and perfect, know my faults, yet meet my needs? I'll never know or understand just what you see in me. My mind is amazed to think your plan includes me for eternity. It must be love. 
it must be love You keep turning my curses into blessings That's your love and nothing else Forgiving my sin and then forgetting that's your love and nothing less If I could give my everything It wouldn't be enough For every good and perfect gift Is more than I Whilst not so incredible in contrast or comparison, interest in religion is waning all over the world, to be sure, including our Bahamas. Although a spiritual entity, we believers meet in church buildings, buildings with electricity and maintenance to pay, even air conditioning to help keep us comfortable or heat in the colder climates. And all this, of course, takes money money that must come from worshippers in those churches. If the number of people that come to worship diminish, so do the tithes and offerings that are needed to keep the church operational. St. Matthew's in London must have a huge deficit from the reports indicated. Seeking creative ways to fund the church's expenses its not wrong. I don't know about you, but I personally have a problem using the building built to worship God as a nightclub where uncomfortable reports of things happening every night. Easy for me to say because I don't have to find a solution to the crisis that they face. But all this leads me to say that it is important for the individual to remain true to his or her calling. As believers, we must be alert to how we live our lives. We are ambassadors of Christ and so we represent the King on earth. The decisions we make, the images we present to the world by our actions and the things we do all represent what we believe to those who are not of the household of faith. Is our walk consistent with our talk? If we were charged as guilty of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Let us strive to be better disciples for the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Standing on a 
straight line And every time you look at me I'm spinning like an autumn leaf Bound to hit bottom sometimes And now with his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. I invite you to think with me today on the topic, the absurdity of the cross. Yes, you heard it right. The absurdity of the cross. 
Think with me on this topic this morning. Did you know that Jesus was an innocent victim of capital punishment? He was not guilty of the crime with which he was charged. And not only that, did you know that he was also the victim of racial prejudice? Capital punishment by crucifixion was not imposed upon Roman citizens, only non-Romans. But did you know that in spite of all that, it was God who prescribed that Jesus would die by the method of crucifixion, the Roman government's form of capital punishment at that time? And they carried it out speedily at that, no long waiting on death row. Actually, when all things are considered, and if things were then as they are now, Jesus would have been a classic case for human rights advocates to take on. Just about everything they use as arguments against the administration of capital punishment were present in the case of Jesus. Even the case for no deterrence would have been used effectively. No matter how many were crucified by the Romans, non-Romans continued to commit acts that call for the death penalty by crucifixion. But in spite of all of this, Jesus was executed anyway. Isn't that amazing? Who in the world was in control of his case anyway? Whoever it was must have certainly been incompetent because he wasn't successful in stopping Jesus' crucifixion. Now, believe it or not, my remarks today are not intended to primarily argue the case for or against capital punishment, which is so much in the forefront of public discussion in the Bahamas. It's simply to draw your attention to the parallels of this discussion with the events in the life of Jesus Christ that resulted in the salvation of all those who had placed their faith in his person and his work on the cross for them. So let me ask you again, who killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was it that actually planned and executed him by the process of capital punishment common for that day? And most importantly of all, why was he killed anyway? Let's answer the first question first. Who actually planned the death of Jesus Christ? Now, when you read the gospel narratives, you read again and again of the Jews plotting to kill Jesus. For instance, listen to 1 John 5, verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But of course, because they were under subjugation to Rome at that time, they could not actually carry out the plan themselves. They had to use the Romans. So, when we read about the actual crucifixion, the biblical texts say, referring to the Roman soldiers, and I quote, When they came to the place called the Skull, Golgotha, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, and the other on his left. That's Luke 23, 33. So then, when we ask the question, who killed Jesus, the Gospels will answer both the Jews and the Romans. One planned it, and the other executed the plan. So no matter what is said now, more than 2,000 years after the fact, the Jews and the Roman government of the day were responsible for the actual, immediate, physical execution of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But really, if we left it there, we would lose the awe and the mystery and the uniqueness of the death of Jesus Christ. We would leave it on the realm of the temple and the earthly only. 
and the death of Christ is by no stretch of the imagination confined only to time and space. It goes far beyond the realm of the earthly. But not only that, if we leave it only on the realm of the earthly, we would still not have the true answer to the question, who planned the death of Jesus? Or for that matter, who it was that really killed Jesus? For instance, listen to the prophecy of Christ's crucifixion as given in Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Listen very carefully now to verse 10. Yet it was Yahweh's will to crush him. It was Yahweh's way to crucify him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of Yahweh will prosper in his hand. The King James Version translates it, It pleased Yahweh to bruise him, or it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This doesn't mean that God was happy to bruise Jesus, mind you, but rather that it was God the Father's decision or plan to bruise or to kill his son, Jesus the Christ. This was stated some 700 years before it actually occurred. It was God the Father who planned and carried out the execution of his only son. Here also the answer of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.32. Quote, He, this is the Father, who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now that phrase or that term, gave up, is a sacrificial term. It means to offer as a sacrifice. So Paul, like Isaiah, is saying that God the Father offered up his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for us. Isaiah tells us that he planned it long before it happened. But now listen also to the words of Jesus himself, as he anticipated coming into the world to die. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but, notice now, a body you prepared for me. This is a body that was prepared for sacrifice. A body you prepared for me. Why? With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in this scroll. I come to do your will, O God. In other words, Jesus said that he came into the world to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross in direct and obedience to the Father's will. Paul again validates this in Philippians chapter 2. Listen as I read at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, obedient to whom? Obedient, of course, to God the Father. In other words, it was the Father's will that Jesus suffered death on a cross, the Roman government's method of capital punishment. Now, why would God the Father choose for his son to die the death of an ordinary criminal for a crime he did not commit? 
Now, if you are still resisting the true import and the impact and significance of this truth, listen again to the startling words of Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Referring to Jesus, this is what the apostle says, the apostle Peter. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So here in this one concise but far-embracing statement, all those involved in the death of Jesus Christ are named. God the Father, who purposed and foreordained it, the Jews, who conspired together to do it, and the Romans, those evil men, who helped by actually performing the evil deed. But the question again is, who was behind it all? Who decided that it should be done? Who planned who would do it and how it should be done from before the beginning of time? As startling and as observed as it may seem, it was God the Father himself. He is the one who in the final analysis killed Jesus Christ, and he willed and planned that he should die as a victim of Rome's system of capital punishment. Could the Father have stopped it? Of course he could have. But did he? Of course he did not. Why? Because Jesus Christ was sacrificed by the Father as an atonement for our sin, your sin and my sin. This is where the truth of substitution comes in. You must be reminded of the fact and understand that Jesus Christ died in your place and in my place. He died for our sin. In other words, now listen carefully. He was killed to uphold the true dignity of man who was made in the image of God. That's the message of this amazing truth here and it's spelled out in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. We don't have time to read all of it, but I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. It tells us of Jesus becoming a man and that he took hold not of the nature of angels, but he took a hold of the nature of human beings so that he, as God, could die for those who were made in the image of God. He reached out, as it were, and grasped a hold of us so he could save us from eternal death. And in doing so, he underlined, he underscored, and he upheld the dignity of man made in the image of God. It shows the value of man in Jesus reaching out to take on the likeness and the nature of man rather than that of angels. Nothing less could do that to show the value that God himself placed upon the soul and life of the human being made in his image. Nothing less than the very death, the very sacrifice of his own son. What a, a tremendous message this is. But when we look at it, it seems so absurd that God would do such a thing to cause his son to undergo such torment, such pain for us. But my friends, it wasn't the torment and the pain that he physically suffered that saved us. It was when he was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt that God the Father had abandoned him 
And that, my friends, was the time when he was being made a sin atonement for our sin, your sin, and my sin. God says then that eternal life for sinful man made in his image is received by placing faith alone in his son alone. And that was because he died on a cruel cross. That message, my friends, by all human standards, is utter nonsense. It is absolutely absurd. But yet, that's the message that you and I must believe in order to be saved, in order to become a child of God. Do you believe it? Will you receive Christ as your personal Savior? If the Spirit of God is working in your heart right now, and you understand this truth that Jesus died in your place on the cross, then the Spirit of God is lifting the blindness, the spiritual blindness that has kept you away from him. You need to respond to that by faith. I invite you to do that right now, today. And please, write and let us know. Greg will give you the address in a very few moments. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. It can happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It could happen in a moment, he could break the eastern sky. Though our hearts will feel unworthy, from heaven when his blessed face we see you have been listening to echoes of calvary a radio ministry of calvary bible church in nassau bahamas our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on collins avenue we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions if you would like to contact the church or pastor lee Address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and not toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and the 
Christ could come again.